morning, everyone. Well, the story that we're looking at today is short, uh, it's simple, and I believe that it is worthy of our deep personal reflection. Uh, It takes place as Jesus was visiting the home of three of his closest friends, two women who were named Mary and Martha, who were sisters, and their brother Lazarus, who apparently was out of town or something because he's not mentioned in these events here. Jesus seemed to spend a lot of time with this family. Their home was located about two miles north of Jerusalem, and it was a place that was called Bethany, a a little village. And it's likely that these three friends had given Jesus a house key, so to speak. He was always welcome at their house. What I want to do today is I want to reflect uh, for a few minutes on this story, first from Martha's perspective, and then from Mary's perspective, and then from Jesus' perspective, and I really hope that it will provide for us uh, some perspective of our own. Now, the first thing that I want to say about Martha this morning is that we must not be too hard on her. She is not necessarily acting here like one of the wicked stepsisters from the story of Cinderella. I think that instead she's a good woman who's doing her best to serve and express hospitality, not only to Jesus, but to her other guests in the best way that she knows how. From her point of view, she, she was just trying to do the right thing. It's uh, likely that Martha was a firstborn, uh, as in verse 38, we find that she's the one to welcome all of the guests. This would have been expected from the eldest daughter at the time, and she obviously took her responsibilities to host very seriously, and she desired to uh, make her guests feel as comfortable as they possibly could. We have a hospitality team here at Grace, and One of the things that I really appreciate about them is that they go out of their way to provide homemade baked goods for us on Sunday mornings. My kids really appreciate that too. In fact, if you ever want to know what kind of cookie it is that they've made, just look at the face of my youngest daughter and you'll find that she's covered in it. But once I asked Mary Kay, who leads the team, if maybe it would be easier if we just simplified things and and served packaged cookies And Mary Kay said, no way. She said, when people come to our church, if we really want them to feel like it matters that they're here, which it does, a tin of sugar cookies from Kroger is not going to cut it. That was Martha's attitude too. She she was thoughtful like that. Martha was the ultimate hostess. She was the kind of person that you would hope would volunteer in your family to host the holiday party. She was the one you'd ask to coordinate your daughter's wedding. Martha was responsible. She was other-centered. And she would have made, I believe, a very good friend. And you know how I know that? She was Jesus' very good friend. Now, from Martha's perspective, on this day, everything seemed to be going just fine when Jesus arrived. The house was tidy. Mary had vacuumed the carpets and put out clean hand towels in the bathroom. 
Martha had just put a casserole in the oven and was pouring some fresh lemonade for her guests. And after the usual exchange of pleasantries, they all sat down together in the living room, Jesus on the wooden rocking chair that had belonged to her father near the bay window and everyone crowding in around him. And Mary with earnestness and enthusiasm that was just typical of her plopped down right in front of Jesus, resting herself on the floor at his feet. And Jesus smiled at this from the corner of his mouth and he motioned for Martha to do the same. Martha thought that this was absolutely remarkable. The way that Jesus treated women was astonishing to her. The the first century was a world where she and her sister, because they were women, were often treated as if they were second-class citizens. It was a time when men thought that it was their right to rule over women. A woman had no legal status in that day. Her testimony was inadmissible at court. In fact, if a woman touched the scriptures, it was like she had cooties. The scriptures themselves would thought it to be defiled. And men were not to talk to women, even, even their wives. And they were especially not to do so in public. Well, Martha saw that Jesus just brushed these conventions aside. In fact, months earlier, as Martha had initially watched Jesus for a dis- from a distance, she, she paid very careful attention to how he treated women, what he did for them, the kinds of things that he said to them, and not only that, but the way in which he said those things. Jesus treated women with such kindness and purity. To him, they were real people whom he elevated and valued to a degree that was unheard of in that society. And Martha, over time, had seen and heard so many different examples of this that she'd just grown accustomed to it. But she was impacted by it anew on this day. You see, if you had the honor of being accepted as a disciple of a particular teacher, you would be given the privilege of positioning yourself as close to them as possible. And this meant sitting on the ground at the feet of your instructor. And as you might expect and imagine, this was a position in Martha's day that was for men only. It would have been highly unusual for a teacher to accept a woman as his disciple, much less grant the woman the honor of sitting at his feet. And yet there they were, she and Mary, at the feet of Jesus. Oh, Mary, Mary adored Jesus as a young child might adore her father, and and Jesus treated her accordingly. In fact, Martha thought if there was anyone who would, but then her her thoughts trailed off a bit. She was interrupted. Jesus began to teach. And as he did so, he captured the attention of every single person in that room. Every word so warm and wise and convicting and encouraging and inviting and penetrating. And Martha just sat there and smiled. She had the best seat in the whole house right there next to her sister. 
But just then, out of the corner of her eye, Martha saw something. There were three men and two women whom she recognized from across the street who were sneaking in the front door and sat down in the back of the room to listen. And she realized that word must have gotten out. And then as she looked, she noticed that there were three other people in the back of the room too who who hadn't been invited, and, and this was unexpected. That's 23, she thought, right? 23 people. There were the the 12 disciples, plus Jesus, plus she and her sister, that was 15, plus the eight newcomers, yes, that was 23. And Martha immediately knew that this was going to be a problem. I mean, even if she limited the portions on the casserole, it would be stretched to feed even 18, and she'd only set place settings for 15. Where was everybody going to sit? And why hadn't she thought of this earlier? The timing was awful. She'd just sat down. But all was not lost. If she could throw together another dish, and if Mary would run over to the neighbor's house and borrow a few folding chairs and and maybe a little table, they might be okay. And so quietly turning to her sister, Martha whispered in Mary's ear, Mary got a change in plans. We've got eight more guests. And Mary didn't seem to notice. So she whispered a little louder. We've got a little work to do, Mary. I'm going to need your help. I'll meet you in the kitchen. And Martha got up and she headed over in that direction, assuming that Martha would be right behind her. But to her surprise, she wasn't. And then about five minutes later, as she was frantically rooting through the refrigerator, still no Mary. What gives? Martha thought, is Mary coming or not? And it soon became evident that the answer was not. Now, this was not like Mary at all. Uh, Mary was certainly more relaxed by personality, but she was not lazy And she certainly wasn't rude. But if there was any time for Mary to scuttle her responsibilities, this was not it, right? Why did she have to choose now? The most important guest who had ever stepped foot in their home was here, and Mary seemed totally uh, oblivious to her responsibilities. If there was not enough food for their guests, the sisters would be humiliated And Martha began to feel the blood pressure rising in her body. She began to feel that familiar anxiousness that that had come upon her many times in her life. And, And she was doing her best even not to get angry. Well, she took a, a deep breath and she tried to think as rationally as she could. If they were going to have dinner on time, she knew that she was going to need Mary's help. And so she was left with no choice. Trying to sound as calm and as gracious as she could, she walked into the living room and she waited for the best moment to interrupt. And then as quietly and politely as she could, she said, "Um, excuse me, Jesus, 
we were not planning to have quite so many people here today. And, and all of you are welcome, of course. We'd love to have you. But there's much to do in the kitchen. And I'd love to take care of it myself, but... And then she noticed that everyone was staring at her, uh, including Mary. And she got a little bit flustered, and, and, and she just blurted out, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Could you tell her to help? In uh, 1992, President George Bush was campaigning for re-election against Bill Clinton, and he and his wife, Barbara, traveled around the country on a train tour. And it's hard to believe, but they actually made a stop on September 27th of that year for a rally in Wixom, Michigan. How many of you remember that rally? Yeah, a few of you do. I remember uh, being at home and my parents coming in to tell me about it. They excitedly shared with me that, uh, that, that the train was going to pass the intersection that was at our road in Milford and that the president of the United States was going to be a half mile away from our house and we had to go and see him. And, and, and my parents did go and see him. In fact, my dad took this picture right here, which I think is a really cool picture down on, on our road. But that's as close as I ever got. I skipped the whole thing. I stayed home. I don't remember what it was, but something else was more important to me on that day. And, and last year, when President Bush passed away, I, I, I read that um, there had been a funeral procession by train as they, they took him to the place that he was going to be buried and that crowds of people went and stood at the railroad tracks to pay their last respects. And I really felt like I had missed such an opportunity. Well, Mary was not going to make the same mistake. She understood that this was the chance of a lifetime and that someone great had come into her home. And yet, even so, she she was probably only dimly aware of the exact caliber and nature and quality of the person that Jesus was. She only had hints that this was Emmanuel, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was the one of whom Jeremiah had said, O Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And it's the one whom the psalmist said, sing to him, sing praises to him. Let the hearts of those who seek The Lord rejoice. And whether or not Mary had totally made that connection or not, that is exactly what Mary was doing as she sat there at Jesus' feet. Her heart was singing and she was rejoicing. The Bible says that better is one day in the courts of God than a thousand days anywhere else. And here, Jesus was holding court in his living room. And he was speaking from the throne of her father's rocking chair. What a privilege. Oh, to hear him speak. Can you imagine to listen to his thoughts, how Mary hung on every one of his words. The casserole in the oven was the furthest thing from her mind at this moment. 
The fact that a a few neighbors had snuck in, she hadn't noticed and she wouldn't have even cared. And it's not that she was trying to be rude to Martha. It's just that she was so intent on not missing a word or an expression or a gesture of Jesus that the whispering of her sister in her ear, quite honestly, it hadn't even registered in her brain. And a few minutes later, when Martha interrupted the group, Mary was taken totally by surprise. And so, with every eye staring at her, now Martha was anxiously awaiting a response from Jesus. And Jesus, who loved both of these women, both Mary and Martha, and who counted each of them as his dear friends, and who knew each one of their hearts, replied to Martha, we are told in this way in verse 41. Take a look there if you can. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus says to Martha, no. Mary has chosen what's good, and and I'm not going to take that from her. Now, it might seem like Martha was being condemned by Jesus with these words initially. But Martha knew instinctually that she was not. When Jesus said, Martha, Martha, he wasn't rolling his eyes. He wasn't chastising her, nor was he rebuking her. What Jesus was doing when he said, Martha, Martha, is he was expressing his endearment towards her. You know, in that day, if you called a person by their first name, and then you repeated their first name immediately for a second time, it was considered an expression of deep affection towards them. It was a sign of an intimate relationship, a a dear friendship. No, Martha knew that, that Jesus wasn't condemning her. In fact, I believe that Jesus knew that Martha's intentions were good. Martha was thinking of others here. She was using the gifts, ironically, that Jesus had chosen to give to her. She was trying to do what was right. But Jesus also knew that in her good desire to serve, that that she was missing out, he says, on, on something here that is necessary and something which her sister was receiving. There was something more important, he was saying, than casseroles and chairs. Something even more important than the comfort and and hospitality that she so good-heartedly desired to provide for her guests. One thing is necessary, Martha, Jesus said. I am. I'm what's necessary. You need to be with me, Martha, Martha. Come sit at my feet and be my disciple. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what do we make 
out of all of this? Well, the passage is often used to teach that people shouldn't be so busy. And I think that that's a fair point to be taken here. We obviously live in a time and a culture where things are frantic, and most people live lives that are far too hectic. But I'm not convinced that that's, that's the main point of this passage. It's more like a sub-point. I think that this passage, in truth, is about something much more fundamental. This passage is about what human beings need most. It's about what human beings are made for, what we're built for. It's about the one thing that truly brings life into our souls. And it's about receiving from God, not just his gifts or his blessing, but his very self. There's a book called The Silver Chair. It's a children's book. It's the fourth book of the Chronicles of Narnia series that was written by C.S. Lewis. And, and in that book, there's a scene where a girl named Jill gets lost in a very dark forest. And she's very afraid, and she begins to cry, and she just cannot stop crying until finally she's out of tears, and she becomes desperately thirsty, like she thinks she's going to die. And thankfully, she notices a stream, and she rushes towards the stream in the woods to get a drink. But to her surprise, there is a great lion sitting there on the bank of this stream. But the lion, recognizing that she's thirsty, invites her to come and take a drink. And and I'll pick up with the story. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to to do anything to me if I come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she'd come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Relationship with Jesus is so much like this. Time spent with him at his feet, cannot be replaced with anything else in life. There is no other substitute, no other stream to be found. And we can look for it in things like hard work and time with friends and family and education and date nights and hobbies and service to the poor and vacations and good books and sports. And and all of these things are valuable and good and contribute to our lives, but none of them can provide for us 
what only time with Jesus can. None of these things can quench our thirst ultimately. And what I think that Jesus was trying to teach Martha was that time spent in relationship with him is so deeply valuable to the soul of every single human being that it is worth sacrificing, if necessary, even those things in our lives which are important and good and beneficial and right, those things that bring blessing even to other people. Jesus was saying to her that that he must be our priority because what he has is what we need and we cannot find it anywhere else. There is no other stream to be found. You know, when a person believes the gospel, when they trust personally, that what Jesus has accomplished for them on the cross through his death in their place for sins is true. When they believe that, they trust. It's not what I can do for God that gets me to him. It's what he's done for me. I don't go up. He comes down. He meets me where I am. Dies for me. Gives up his life. Doesn't ask me to die for him. At least not first. He says he'll die for me. What God does is he opens wide the door into relationship with him, into friendship with him, into the kind of relationship that these two women and their brother had with Jesus. And he does that as he floods a person's heart with his grace and his mercy. And then he gives us continual access to the streams of that grace each and every day. And what it means to spend your life sitting at Jesus' feet is that a part of your day, at least in part it means this, is that you set aside time in your life away from the hustle and bustle, away from the pressures and responsibilities that you have in life, even when it costs you something, even if it means sacrificing something that's very, very good for you or good for other people. And when you choose instead to get away to a quiet place and to listen to his voice through the book that he's written and and given to you and, and you spend time reflecting on these words and worshiping him and seeking to align your life in his direction and, and when you just enjoy him, and you sing songs to him, and you let him carry your burdens as you come to him through prayer, what you are doing is nothing less than sitting down at his feet. And I have to tell you that that sometimes when we do this, just like Martha, those anxieties and troubles and distractions will come flowing into our minds. We'll think of all the other things that we ought to be doing, and and it may seem like this is a a, a waste of time. The the fruit from sitting at Jesus' feet will, will not always be immediately evident. It will not always meet exactly your felt need for that day. It won't always be like a hug from a teddy bear which I think is sometimes the the way that people expect it's meant to be, or else there's something wrong. 
But I can promise you this. A life spent regularly at the feet of Jesus is how Christians stay hydrated. And we don't do it any other way. It is the means through which the Lord meets our needs every day and throughout our lives. I'm sure of you, I'm sure that many of you in this room are very busy. I'm sure you have many pressures and responsibilities. I'm sure that a lot of you are very tired and and rest is something that you crave and in fact do need. And I know that there are many of you, probably most of you in this life, who are trying to do with your life things that are right and good. You want your life to matter. You love God and and you love other people and you want to serve them. But you live in life with a lot of pressure. Some of it self-imposed like Martha's was. Some of it expectations from the outside. The strains that you face from work and from family obligations. And all the other people in your life who need you. And many of you, I'm sure, feel anxious about those things and overstretched. And I want you to know that was Martha. That's how she felt. That's how she lived her life. And some of us are just like her. I want you to know something else. Jesus never condemned her for being like that. In fact, quite the opposite. He makes it clear of his love and his dear affection towards her. I think that Jesus was glad that Martha was so responsible that she could be counted on, that she cared about other people. And likewise, I think he would be glad that you've chosen to live that kind of life too, if you have. Jesus said that a person's care for other people is the measure of their greatness. But in taking on all of these good responsibilities in life, be careful not to make Martha's mistake. Be careful not to treat intimacy with Jesus like it's expendable because it isn't. Do not neglect the thing that your soul needs the most. Listen to Jesus' words to Martha. He said one thing is necessary. And after he did that, he invited her just like he invites all of us to come and sit at his feet. Let's pray. Father Isaiah, speaking of people in a very embarrassing way, once said that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to his own way. I think, Father, it's impossible to read this story and consider these things without recognizing that we are like those sheep, so distracted, so easily tempted away from the shepherd, so easily trying to find life on our own, trying to make things work, doing what we can, using our efforts and ability Father, what a tiring way to live. What an exhausting way to live. Forgive us for the ways that we try to find life apart from you. 
We pray that you would give us not the heart of a sheep, as Isaiah wrote, but the heart of the deer that the psalmist wrote about earlier. Please give us a thirst for you. Please give us a hunger to hear your voice in our lives, Father. Please give us a deep desire to sit at the feet of your Son and allow him to speak into our wounds and into our joys and into our exhaustion and into our hopes and dreams. We thank you so much that he offers to do that to us through his word. Give us the desire to seek you. Give us that hunger and thirst, we pray, Father. And we thank you that we are always invited to sit at his feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.